predominant difference between the, the, the NGO, the charity, and the business. And, you know, we take the same resource cash. They both are focused on money, you know, the, the blood of execution. And the charity looks at it and goes, well, how do I take that lifeblood and try to deplete it as slowly as possible while making impact? And the entrepreneur looks at it and goes, how do I multiply it as fast as possible? And make Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. What's up, friends, and welcome to another pandemic edition of the Business for Good podcast. Many states, including my own state of California, are starting to reopen their economies. It's certainly welcome news. Doesn't mean, of course, that the pandemic is over, but hopefully some of the economic misery will be slightly lessened as businesses begin to open back up. In an effort to focus on the positive, I've been thinking a lot about what some of the silver linings to this catastrophe may be. Of course, there are widely reported environmental benefits, less air pollution, cleaner water, massive reduction in fishing of the oceans, and so on. And then there's also a personal silver lining, which is that my wife, Tony, and I fostered a pandemic pup we named Eddie, who ultimately ended up being adopted into our family and who we now love. That certainly would not have happened without the pandemic. Side note, if you want to follow Eddie's exploits in his life, uh, Tony is running an Instagram account for him, Eddie the Pity. So if you want to check out what's happening in his life, just go on Instagram again to Eddie the Pity. It's a lot of fun to watch what he does. Now, Needless to say, talking about these silver linings, it isn't to suggest that, of course, this pandemic was all worth it, obviously. But if you have thoughts about other silver linings to this tragedy that you want to share, please email us and give us your thoughts. You can do that at the show's website, businessforgoodpodcast.com, which, by the way, looks a lot different than it used to, so check it out anyway. Now, on to this episode. In a lot of countries, when you walk down the city streets, it vividly brings to life two really serious problems, plastic pollution and, of course, poverty. While there are charities trying to address both of these concerns, serial entrepreneur David Katz in 2013 thought that there was an opportunity to marry the two issues and build a profitable business out of it. The result? plastic bank. Today, there are tens of thousands of low-income people in countries from Haiti to Egypt who are collecting plastic refuse from waterways and other polluted areas, bringing it to a plastic bank collection center and getting credit via a smartphone app that they can then go spend on their needs. Already, the company collects about 50,000 plastic bottles per 45 minutes. Rather than viewing those bottles as plastic quote-unquote waste, David thinks of them as social plastic, which he helps convert into materials that Plastic Bank then sells to major plastic users so that they can use it themselves. Just how much can Plastic Bank get for all of that social plastic they've collected? David says the company is projecting in 2020 annual revenue of $65 million. It's an impressive story and one that will give you some much needed good news in our pandemic time period of too much bad news. So without further ado, I give you David Katz of Plastic Bank. David Katz, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Thank you. Good morning. All right. Great to be with you here. So, uh, you know, you are somebody who is fighting plastic pollution. You're trying to fight poverty, but that hasn't always been what you've been doing with your life, right? So tell us how you first got interested in, in this space in the first place. Oh, uh, that is so broad. I, I... You know, my authentic answer behind all of that, not the answer that everybody always wants to hear, is that we really are the product of every experience and every decision we've ever made. 
And so there's, there's really, there's a gift in knowing that anything that hit the fan is also forging you for something great in the future as well. And that really is the authentic answer. But inside of all of that, you know, I've never really had a job. I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always just been trying to like figure it out. And for me, I've always been trying just to be free of the confines of the family business. And, and that's really what's moved me forward to where I am. It's just been entrepreneurship and looking for the how. What are some of the entrepreneurial endeavors that you had before you were doing Plastic Bank? The business I had previous to this, the one that's helped me funded it, was Neuro Global Tracking. We developed and sold a GPS tracking solution for mobile workforce, a device that would be installed inside fleet vehicles that would report its location and do diagnostics. It's ultimately helped reduce the cost associated with the delivery of a product or a service. It was a subscription-based business that I developed over 11 years. I was acquired. But that was the big business. That, that, and that, but that was a lifetime to get to as well. I had a restaurant for eight years. I was in the commercial fitness business. In my youth, I had a you know karaoke business. I've, I've done all kinds of stuff. Um, nice. Did it help me learn to get to where I am? Well, uh, after watching your TED talk, I could tell that you're into fitness because you you uh, you definitely look like you're somebody who who doesn't who doesn't miss many gym trips. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. But, no, but yeah, for sure. But uh, as somebody who also is into fitness and karaokeing, those both uh, sound like pretty cool endeavors that you were doing too. But maybe maybe <laughs> yeah. not maybe not as cool though as plastic banks. So I know you're super into scuba diving, right? And that's what kind of generated some of your interest in this. But tell me the story, David. Like what happened? Uh, uh, that led you to start thinking about plastic pollution? Well, it, it, I was, you know, 35 years ago, I grew up on the West Coast of Canada. I grew up on a Vancouver Island, and I had to walk a beach to go to school every day. I had to. I mean, what a gift I got. To, I mean, in hindsight, what a gift. And and I began witnessing debris washing up on shore then. And it's, it struck me then. At first, it was like beachcombing. It was kind of fun. Let's go see if we could find something. But then over the years, it was like, oh, wow, hold on, that's just other people's garbage. And then, you know, because that's, that's really been my origin is that the ocean's edge and my vacations would take me there. And, and I've just been witnessing it for 35 years, where the rest of society, they're just kind of getting caught up. I'm like, oh, they, they think it's some phenomenon that just occurred in the last five years. No, it's been occurring since the introduction of the material. I was able to witness it, and then having that in my mind, being passionate about that. About 12 years ago, I came, came across the work of a photographer called Chris Jordan, who really is a canary in the coal mine for the whole planet. He woke up the whole planet. He's out of Seattle as well. And he was a photographer that traveled out to Midway Island and began photographing the corpses of decomposing albatross chick. Bellies full of plastic. The starving full, I call them. So much plastic that they couldn't take nutrients and dine. And, and that moved me. That, that solidified my knowing that something had to be done. It, wasn't not, it was not going to not be tackled. It was a threat to our existence. So you're you're seeing Chris Jordan's photographs of these poor birds who you know have perished from consuming plastic. You're also seeing in your own hand first life plastic refuse washing up on shores. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, if they see plastic they, or or if they see litter, they may think 
this is somebody else's problem. I'm not the one who threw it there. Maybe they're going to do something like donate to a charity, like an environmental charity. But you saw all of this trash, this plastic floating around on these beaches, and you thought, there's a business in this? I mean, maybe it's just the way that I see things. But I think there's a, there's a predominant difference between the, the, the NGO, the charity, and the business. And, and, you know, we take the same resource cash. They both are focused on money, you know, the, the blood of, of execution. And the, and the charity looks at it and goes, well, how do I take that lifeblood and try to deplete it as slowly as possible while making impact? And the entrepreneur looks at it and goes, how do I multiply it as fast as possible and make impact? There's a paradigm shift in the two. There's a paradigm shift in the staff, in the structure, in the communications, in everything. One solely focused on the multiplication of impact, the perpetuation of impact. That's, that's social entrepreneurship for me. So it's now the year 2013, and you're going to start this new company, Plastic Bank. Yeah. Just give us a sense, like, what is the business model here? So there's all this plastic that's out on the beach or that's going into waterways, and you see profit to be made in it. Tell us what the business model for Plastic Bank actually is. The business model is that we build supply chain. We build a vertically integrated supply chain that returns large volumes, consistent large volumes of socially verifiable high-impact material back into manufacturing. So we sell a supply chain. Like when we go into Egypt, that uh, was in partnership with the German consumer goods company Henkel. They have products like Dial and Rightguard and, and Fawn, and a bunch of other strong European 143 open. We've got into Egypt. We're now building out a supply chain that's going to return tens of thousands of tons of material to them. Material meaning they, plastic waste. Plastic, yeah. Okay. Not that I wouldn't, let's, let's remove the word waste out of that. Okay. They, they return plastic feedstock that they then use again in their manufacturing. They get a consistent feedstock of material outside of the global supply and demand paradigm. So as other organizations make commitments to 100% recycled content, nobody knowing where to get it, we've created a supply chain for them. So how did you start the company in the first place, David? Were you, uh, you venture-backed? Were you self-funding it? Like, How did it come to be back in 2013 when Plastic Bank got started? There, there was two fundamentals to the way we began. One, hope. Two, prayer. Hope and prayer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> venture-backed, no. I, I began, you know, I, 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 at the time, had neuroglobal tracking. I, I, there was a year transition. There was a lot of beautiful... A lot of beautiful story in, in the way that I transitioned out of that business and how I manifested that and, and how I created the space to be acquired. All of those things, all the learning to be able to be the you know real the real creator in life, you know, using my word to be in creation and to have my life unfold as I choose it to be. That's a whole different conversation. And so I had I had some I had revenue. I you know I had the ability to be able to begin slowly. And and that was it. I mean, it's and, and think of the enormity as well. Like, I, I had I had an idea. I made the eleventh, two thousand thirteen, that included building the world's largest supply chain of recycled content, all material types, really the, the world's largest commodity broker, that was going to work in some of the most dangerous, scarcity focused, illiterate unstable communities of the world communicating in thousands of languages 
building a digital banking application that would include the poor to give financial inclusion, that would as well sell to the largest organizations in the world, that would obviously be multinational. There was a lot in that. And inside of that, there was a tremendous amount of fear in that because ultimately it was like, oh, here's the enormity. One is the, is the idea, the concept that, oh my goodness, plastic is money for the world. How powerful. Wow, if we can just change the internal paradigm so that I don't look at it like waste anymore. It's not waste. So, so if I have people look at it as money, or more importantly, what it can do, with the money, because it's not necessarily just cash, but we can get with the cash. So that's the big, the big shift. That's a whole conversation. And, and yeah, so there's just a lot inside of all of that. Uh, so let's talk about how, how you are monetizing the value of all of this plastic, because you have thousands of people out there who are, mm-hmm. extre- who are extremely impoverished, yeah. who are going around. Tens, co- of, tens ten- of thousands. Thank you. Tens of thousands of people from Haiti to yeah. Egypt and elsewhere yeah. who on, who are basically out there scavenging for plastic that might mm, end? No, no, no. Let's get right. away from that. Okay. Let's, let's make sure we bring dignity to humanity. Sure. Not scavenging. Okay. Right? They're they're entrepreneurs. We create entrepreneurship. Okay. And we give people an opportunity to learn how to find high quality, valuable material that, when returned into our ecosystem, they're rewarded for, and then inside of that, they're financially included and given, you know, banking and incentivization and gamification they can win stuff and be important in their community yes and it's not just about that community and my emphasis here is that what we're doing is bringing segregation into every household because it's not just about the collector who wants to make it full-time it's about creating a platform so that every house every person that engages the material looks at it differently so it never makes it into the into what might have been a waste stream. It's segregated and returned as a high-quality post-consumer material that has even additional value in it. It's that everybody participates. So that even a mother who lives in Egypt, who lives in Cairo, who'd have never had a chance to have a bank account before, can now, with her plastic, earn a credit rating. So, so tell me about that, David. So you have these tens of thousands of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are collecting plastic and returning it to you. And you're not just giving them cash for it. You've created this app and it essentially acts as a bank account for them. What do they actually get though? What are the options for them if they return plastic to you before, so that you will incentivize them to bring it to you? You know, we started off quite simply in Haiti and in, in, in that ecosystem, uh, it included everything from cooking fuel to cell phone minutes and Wi-Fi and all kinds of other things. And and that it's powerful because again, it's not always, I mean, there's just so much learning in all that. It's it's often well, first off, to, to engage people to collect the material, um, even the poor, there's levels of poverty. There's poor, there's the poor and then there's the, the ultra poor. And and in 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 the poor, with the poor, they look at people who have been collecting material as being ultra poor. And they don't want to be viewed as ultra poor. You're already in poverty, so you don't want to be ultra poor. So they may not collect material. So we have to change the paradigm in people. So they look at that differently. They look at it as now as a profession or something dignified. So there's a lot in the way we approached it. 
in the way, pardon me, there's a lot in the way we approached that topic and the way we gave incentive. Uh, so there's 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 a lot of depth in that. But but and so moving forward in the digitization of the, of this currency of the value. You know, I like to say that we're more like a, a, a you know, we're, you know, plastic bank, we're a currency exchange, like deposit material and withdraw whatever you need. It truly is a currency exchange. It's, it's like the most rudimentary Bedouin market that you could, you could consider. Whatever you want, deposit it and withdraw whatever else you need. Like, for instance, within our new partnership in Indonesia with a company called Gojek, they are the Uber of Indonesia, They're Indonesia's first unicorn. And they have a marketplace with 700,000 vendors, 700,000, they got 2 million drivers, 35 million active users. So now within the application, all that value can be spent at any of those 700,000 markets. So what, what you need, we got. That's, that's the way. David, I, I know that the app is free to download, uh, but what if somebody doesn't have a, a smartphone? Like, What if they don't have the capacity to get the app? Only one person in the chain has to have uh, a phone. Now, Egypt, um, for instance, uh, poverty rate is increasing there with the devaluation of, of their currency after the you know, uprising. Uh, beautiful people. That's such a remarkable place. 30 million people live under the international poverty line of $1.80 a day. 30 million, 10 million live in abject poverty. It's one out of every 10. It's only a $75 billion economy. It actually is less, there's less uh, less of GDP per person um, than Haiti. And there's 108% cell phone penetration. Okay. Everyone's cell phone. I, 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 let's, and, and let's be in the consideration as well that we need to be investing in what will be and not what is. It's also one of the failures of businesses, over-investing in what will be. Sorry, let me rephrase that. One of the failures of business is over-investing in what was and under-investing in what will be. And so we always have to be focused on what will be, what will be. So what will be and what is, is cell phone penetration, smartphones in the hands of the object poor. I believe 75% of our collectors in Haiti have smartphones. So, David, other people who look at the problem of plastic pollution in the ocean have started trying to develop devices that can actually remove plastic from the ocean to undo some of the harm that we've already done. I know what you're trying to do is prevent future harm from occurring, but you've used this analogy of the overflowing sink before. So tell us how about why you've chosen this and what do you mean by the overflowing sink? There's a, um, there's a conversation around working on what's important or working on what's urgent. And we know that when we work on the quadrant that is important, we get to eliminate the urgent. The only way to eliminate the urgent is to work on important. And yeah, it's urgent that we repair the damage that's been done. It's urgent that we restore habitat. It's urgent that we don't do those things. But what's important for humanity is to stop having plastic flow into the ocean to begin with. Who knows exactly how much estimated, just too much anyhow, but somewhere around 15 billion kilograms of material are going to flow into the ocean this year. 15 billion kilo. Wow. Show me a boat that's going to go collect that. It's not, it's not possible for us to go and collect the material from the ocean. Futile. So all that money, all that resource, truly, fundamentally, should be in the stemming the flow of plastic flowing into the ocean to begin with. 
I mean, we're, we're, we're collecting mass volumes of material today. How much are you collecting? Greater than, we're collecting, the number is increasing all the time. Um, we're doing around 50,000 bottles per 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. And so you get those tens of thousands of bottles per hour, and then you're not just uh, turning around and selling them, right? My understanding is you're breaking you're breaking them down into smaller places and selling. Well, we your- add well, where we add value to it. So we want to add value in country. Like we're really an economic development firm. So mm-hmm. we work within the regions that we're at, and the people add value as well. They segregate the material by color, by type, remove impurities, even caps and rings or different value material. They segregate that. That goes to an aggregator. It gets bailed. That's adding value in the country as well. It'll then go to a maybe a localized processor who will flake the material. That adds value in country as well. If it can be pelletized in country, that adds value. And if we can add it into the manufacturing stream in country, that adds value too. So that's and we don't do any of that. We just help facilitate it all. So, David, I, I know that you have shied away from and been averse to using terms like plastic waste because you see real value in it. And the plastic that you're collecting and then turning around selling, you're actually dubbed it social plastic. So tell us, what is social plastic? Social plastic is a material whose value is transferred through lives. Now, with social plastic, it's a value that's transferred through the lives of the emerging as well as the consumer all while upholding the sustainability development goals. It's a material that when transacted changes the world. It's social plastic. It's not a recycled plastic. It's not a virgin plastic, which, by the way, we have to eliminate. We have to eliminate the production of new plastic. But social plastic is is value. Social plastic is change for the world. It's all kinds of different things. Now, what is the economic value of social plastic compared to regular plastic? For example, I read in Forbes that your co-founder said that you sell social plastic to companies typically for about three times what conventional plastic would would cost them. Is that right? And if so... No, that's not the case at all. Oh, okay. Not the case at all. Not the case at all. It's not not three times. It's maybe 30% more. Okay. Oh, you should get a correction from Forbes then or 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 talk to your (laughs) co-founder. So, all right. So... so let's say it's thirty percent more. So why is a company gonna why is a company gonna pay thirty percent more? What, what's in it for them? Do you believe that consumers are going to accept the companies that they do business with? Do you believe that they will accept that company killing the planet? Do you believe that we're going into a future where people will step aside and say, "Oh." Oh, that's right. You got some sustainability, you know, initiatives. You're going to do less damage this year than you did last year, but you're still going to be killing the world. We're entering the regeneration economy. We're creating the regenerative society. That's what social plastic facilitates. What we do is we provide every organization in the world that partners with us the opportunity to repair the damage that's been done. We allow them to authentically show up in the world and engage a consumer that's demanding change. When we go back to the conversation of doing, you know, spending too much time in what is and not enough time in what will be, then you're not going to be in business. And so what will be is the Greta generation, that Gen Z, that's demanding change. And if you want to engage them, you're going to have to show the repair. So what's in it for them is a beautiful, powerful engagement opportunity. 
uh, you've actually formed some really impressive corporate sponsorships, right? So I know that you're a partner now with both Shell and IBM and I believe others. So what are you doing with those companies? Like what is Shell and IBM doing with Plastic Bank? Well, they're not, they're not sponsorships. Um, they're customers. Right? So, you know, there's, you know, again, this big paradigm, everything's created in the word. So, you know, Henkel, we were super proud of Henkel. I mean, they, they buy material, large volumes of material from us. They, they see to us, they they communicate what we're doing, a strong European brand. SE Johnson, you're going to find us in all Windex bottles globally very soon. It's huge, powerful partnership. We've got uh, Coca-Cola for, for Philippines un- unfolding right now. We've got Pepsi Lipton. Uh, Southeast Asia, we're you know we're certainly IBM, who's really our technology partner, um, who's, who's who's you know creating an engagement platform for their almost four hundred thousand staff. Um, you know it was countless. Yeah. I mean we're 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 killing it. <laughs> Good, you're killing it so that the rest of us aren't killing the planet. Um, yeah, right. So what is Shell buying from you? Well, Shell and their original partnership was was buying Impact. They were buying the opportunity to extract material. Uh, from from the streets of Haiti, and and that partnership, you know, with all large organizations, um, they're they're slow. I mean, Shell could be a more powerful partner, and we anticipate that they will be in the future, um, and we invite them to. So, David, you know, most listeners of the show will surely have heard of carbon neutrality, but uh, Plastic Bank is pioneering this term called plastic neutrality. So, tell us what is plastic neutrality, and how can we achieve it? Plastic neutrality, or what I really ultimately should be communicated as plastic regenerative, allows an individual to understand the volume of material that they are using. So every time you buy a vitamin package that comes in a small plastic bottle, every time you buy milk, every time you drive your car, you are consuming uh, to some level a volume of plastic. And so if you as a human want to be able to stand forward and say, I'm going to do less damage in the world, I'm going to create repair in the world, I'm going to create a demand for the material, then you can step forward and participate in a program like that. And and when you want to fund that, we go out into the world and we collect that volume plus from the world. And so it allows you to step forward powerfully and say that you're a part of the solution and not the pollution. Well, we'll certainly link in the show notes on this episode to your plastic neutrality page so that folks who are interested can can check that out. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys share this, what type of revenue are you guys doing right now? I mean, it seems like you're working in lots of different countries. You've got tens of thousands of people collecting out there for you. What is it uh, that you got? What type of a or what size of a business are you guys right now? Yeah, it's 2020 should be 65 million. And, and, you know, we're growing quickly. Right? Yeah, congratulations. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're getting it. So projecting 65 million U.S. dollars this year, and, what, and what's your total staff now? Well, we're just under 100. All right. Yeah. It's pretty good. A pretty good ratio there. Good for you. That's yeah, great. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Lots going on. And, and many of those staff, you know, are in the developing world as well. So. Mm-hmm. That's great. 
David, for people who look at what you're doing and they say, hey, here's this guy who saw the problem of plastic pollution, the problem of people living in poverty, and you decided to marry the two of them and make a profitable business out of it. Uh, and they're looking at you and they're thinking, well, this guy is a successful entrepreneur. I'd like to be like him, maybe in the plastic space, maybe somewhere else. Um, you know, What resources would you recommend to them as somebody who is either an entrepreneur or somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur to get started? Are there any books or uh, speeches or anything else that you would think have been useful for you that you'd recommend? Well, it's a consciousness journey. I mean, all of entrepreneurship is. Too many people, I mean, many people begin entrepreneurship out of, an, out, of a, out, of a, out of a lack of consciousness because they're trying to attain something in the future. They're, they're attached to the way society will look at them. I mean, that's, you know, it's one way. But when you're in, in that space, my advice to anyone would be to come out of the story of life, to come out of the thought that you are your thoughts, to truly come to a place where you get to create, not from the past, but from the future, the unlimited opportunity of the present moment. Now you always recommend people to get into them, some Michael Singer and some Eckhart Tolle, and to really come to a place where they can be the creator. So if somebody is inspired by you and wants to create, but they're not sure where to start, they want to do something good for the world, but they don't know what type of a company they want to do. Are there any business ideas that you have contemplated, but that you're not going to pursue that you think uh, other people would be wise to pursue to help make the world a better place? I keep finding these beautiful little nucleuses for the world. Is, I mean, it's a, it could be as simple as abandoned cars. There's huge value in in that in that resource as well and they litter the streets of the emerging and they stem the flow of traffic they become they become pools for infestation there something has to be done about just abandoned cars so you think uh, taking abandoned cars and and making a business out of uh, utilizing those resources that are contained in there yeah interesting okay cool that's a that's an interesting idea Maybe it will. Uh, maybe it will inspire somebody to start their own uh, type of plastic bank. But it'll be the auto bank, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, that, that certainly should occur. I love the idea of of helping reduce food waste. I like the idea that within a restaurant, you may have the opportunity to say, "I'll take a three quarter size portion," and then the restaurant donates the just the food cost. And so you can say, well, I'll take a three-quarter size portion. They re- they give you less food. There's less food waste. And then they donate the food cost. It's actually be revenue generating for the restaurant while doing good in the world as well. Nice. I think there's something in that platform. I mean, I mean there's all kinds. Yeah. No, good ideas for sure, David. Uh, really appreciate it. And um, I'm grateful that you're doing the work that you are and thankful for you to thankful to you for helping to spread the word about how we can help to stem the tide of plastic that we are uh, putting into our oceans and, and make mm-hmm. it profitable in the, in the meantime. So thanks so much for all you're doing. And we'll be watching Plastic Bank and rooting for your continued growth. Thank you very much. It's really kind. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good.